This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNXRadio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Ken Charles in today for Mike Simpson. We're sitting here waiting for all the votes to be counted in the presidential election. Some people aren't only sitting, they're in the fetal position. They're biting their fingernails. They're looking for the bar. They're stress eating. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of emotion. It's too close to call right now, and we could be waiting for at least a few more days. Who knows? So if the election was a mandate on handling the coronavirus pandemic, then many people don't seem to be bothered by the Trump policies and how he's handled the entire thing. We'll get into why the pandemic doesn't seem to have been the key issue in this election. I kind of like stress eating. Stress eating and stress drinking? Yeah, that's, you know. Just don't do it when you're in the fetal position because you'll <laughs> spill all over and it's a mess. Uh, Europe. Uh, how many people out there listening to this would just love to just hop on a plane and head right to Europe? Well, you can't now because of the pandemic. But we are going to go, not literally, but we will get to the uh, coronavirus case surge there. And if it's showing any signs at all of slowing down. Well, if you're like me, you've crossed the line, not into alcoholism, not into any other ism, but you've crossed the line for one too many Zoom meetings. Oh, Zoom meetings. You know, I I'm hate s- Zoom meetings. I'm so sick of Zoom. I'm sick of working out of the house. If you're working from home right now, I bet you feel the same way. You want to keep going? We'll dig into the pros and cons of doing your job at home. Let's start with the election and the pandemic. Did it play a big role in the election? And should it have? Andy Slavitt is the founder of the healthcare advocacy group United States of Care. He's a former administrator of Medicare, Medicaid, and the Affordable Care Act. That was during the uh, Obama years. Mike Simpson and I asked Andy about whether the results indicated if people really care about this pandemic and what it's done. People are tired. Um, you know, the, this pandemic is something people haven't haven't seen before. It requires a certain amount of action and sacrifice, and um, you know, it, because it only um, hits you hard when it in your community hard, uh, and it hits a lot of other communities that you don't see all the time. It's hard for people um, to maintain the pace. So, look, one of the challenges uh, that Joe Biden would have if um, he pulls out a victory here is really trying to bring the country together, bring the temperature down a little bit. Um, you know, people are always going to have differences of opinions, but you know, helping people um, sort of see not see a, a mask as a political statement, but but as a public health decision. And you know, you got you got to persuade people. You can't just say here's a mandate. Um, you have to tell people why it matters. You have to have real dialogue and conversation. It's the hardest part. No, no question about it. Yeah. So how do you think that works? I mean, you're a healthcare guy, but you worked in government. You know how politics works. So maybe the president, you know, he was ridiculed by a lot of people for for getting up on the campaign stage and saying, oh, COVID, COVID, COVID. They're always talking about COVID. Maybe a lot of people agree. And it's just they don't want to hear about it that much anymore. They want to learn to live with it. And they think Joe Biden is going to put people back into a lockdown. And that doesn't seem like learning to live with it to them. Yeah, I don't think that that that's where Joe Biden's head is at. Um, uh, I know that, he, that he's portrayed that way. Look, we've learned a lot since this virus started. One of the things we've learned is that there's a lot of things you can do safely, and there's some things that you absolutely cannot do safely. So, um, you know, you have, obviously, um, you know, most places of business are safe. 
most uh, stores and shopping are safe. It's really when you get indoors around large numbers of people that this virus spread, spreads um, very significantly. And, you know, when people find that uh, because these little nasty little um, um, microbes are um, uh, very infectious and for some people very dangerous. And a lot of people are just a link in the chain. It may not be dangerous for them, but it's dangerous for others. So, you know, it is important for people to at least understand and to have most people um, be safer because once people are exposed to the virus, a lot of times um, it does damage that they wish hadn't happened. So eight months or so into this pandemic, provided that uh, Joe Biden, let's say he does uh, end up winning the uh, the White House, what does he have to say to convince yeah, I, I agree with you that probably not all 68 million people who voted for Trump don't like wearing masks or, or social distancing. But a lot of them I, I, you know, probably think that uh, President Trump is correct in, in his position. So what does Joe Biden, if he becomes President Biden, need to say to try to convince as many of those people as possible that they do need to take these steps when eight months into it, I mean, who doesn't know that you should be wearing masks, that you should be keeping social distance, that you shouldn't be, you know, throwing caution to the wind and going to large uh, social gatherings. Everybody has gotten that message. What does he do to get through? Well, look, I, I, it's not just his challenge. I had a conversation with Mike DeWine, Republican governor of Ohio, asking the same question. He said, look, my, my city, Cincinnati, Cleveland, um, Akron, Columbus, they're actually doing okay. But my outlying areas, the rural parts of Ohio, where people are not wearing masks, um, are getting killed. And literally, people are, are dying. It's a lot of it is at, at house parties and community events. And by the way, look, these are the kinds of things that like no governor in the world wants to interfere with. I mean, those are that's happiness. I mean, in a year ago, no one would have any objection to them. But, you know, he has a mask mandate uh, in the state. He's Republican. And um, he is having a difficult time figuring out how to get people to go along with it. One of the things that will get better instantly is President Trump, um, you won't have someone on the bully pulpit if he's not there, telling people um, in subliminal ways and in, and in real ways not to wear a mask. So that will help someone like DeWine. Uh, but he also has to go out there and listen and be creative and um, and listen to people and sit down in communities and um, and understand person by person, family by family, that um, this is our first time with a with a pandemic. Let me tell you, the next time there's a global pandemic like this, it's going to be easier. In Hong Kong, um, which has the most cross-border travel with China of any country in the world, they've only had 100 deaths because the people instantly put on masks. In Africa, where the, which has a population of 1.3 billion, there's only been 35,000 deaths. This is not a particularly high-tech solution required. It's a pretty simple solution. Andy Slavich, founder of the Healthcare Advocacy Group for United States of Care, former administrator, Medicare, Medicaid, the Affordable Care Act during the Obama administration. A full surge of coronavirus cases sweeping through Europe right about now. You know, this comes as many states across the U.S. We're dealing with our own new waves. Countries are locking down all over Europe right now. Will travel open up? WBBM Cisco Cotto talked to Bloomberg News health reporter Michelle Cortez about how bad is it over there and what's next. Nobody wants to go back into these strict lockdowns that we had last year. 
or, or earlier this year, actually, gosh, it seems like it was a lifetime ago, really, right? But we don't want to have to be stuck in our houses, not able to go to anything except for the grocery store, not being able to see friends and family. But honestly, it is looking like that's where we are headed. And the fact that it's happening in November, when we all have you know months of winter ahead of us, it's just exhausting, really. And yet that's what public officials seem like they're doing. I, I know England is uh, is dealing with a lockdown situation again. Uh, are, are we in any way in a better place than we were six months ago with medical advances, with, with the medical professionals just knowing how better to treat the disease? Right. Well, Cisco, you're right. All across Europe, we're seeing these lockdowns in the UK, Italy, Sweden, Hungary, the Netherlands, Belgium, all of those places. But to your point, yes, if you should end up in the hospital, the good news is, is that they do know what to do with you now. We certainly can't cure everyone, but there is drugs that are available. If you get to the hospital and you don't, you're not really terribly sick yet, but sick enough to need the hospital, remdesivir has actually been shown to help you get out of the hospital more quickly. For the people who are the most ill, we know that dexamethasone improves survival. Doctors know when to put you on a ventilator, how much oxygen to give you, which way your body should be positioned. So all of that is good news should you be in a bad situation. The problem is, is that we are starting to see some of our hospitals get overwhelmed, and that's not good news for anyone. Yeah, and that was actually my next question that I wanted to talk with you about the hospitalizations. Uh, a lot of people getting it if they're not really sick isn't necessarily a huge issue, but when you get more and more people going to the hospital, that's when it becomes a significant challenge. Yeah, and that is something that is expected to happen really across the country. We are already starting to see some of those kind of increased cases in in Minnesota, where I'm based, we're already seeing our ICUs getting overwhelmed. Of course, the we're tracking at Bloomberg these numbers that places that are the most critical at this point are like Florida, Michigan, Ohio, Tennessee. These are places where their inpatient numbers have have accelerated double digit numbers. Coming up after this very short break is working from home here to stay. Well, the pandemic is dragging on, which has many people still working from home rather than heading back to the office. So uh, the question on the table, will this trend become permanent? So many people said if I could only work at home, it would be the perfect situation. Now that they are, it's not. Nina Mendez is a psychology professor at LaSalle University. She talked with KYW in Philadelphia's Matt Leon about the good and the bad from working at home. Working from home really has shed light on how productive we can be as humans, how convenient it could be to work from home. I mean, of course, we're going to talk about some of the challenges that people face with working from home, but I think it's important to highlight how it does work better for some people. I think the reality is, is that we're experiencing a global pandemic and we have wonderful researchers who are telling us how long this may be here, but the reality is, is that we don't have a definitive end date. So I think working from home is here to stay. Um, and I would arguably say that it will probably be here post-pandemic as well, just because people are seeing the value in it and the convenience of working from home. So let's look at the upside first. Uh, give us some of the biggest positives you would see of a vast higher percentage of the population working from home. Well, I think that uh, the positives will vary depending upon who you ask, but I would say that collectively, it's definitely more convenient for people. People are driving less. Um, people are able to create their own schedules. 
Um, I think that um, people are definitely more productive. They feel like they have more time on their hands because they're not traveling back and forth to work. I mean, there are people in my life, I don't know about you, but I, I've heard of plenty of people saying, oh, I drive an hour and 45 minutes to work every day. And they don't have that anymore. So they're definitely feeling more productive, feeling more present in terms of um, being home. And I think that has a lot of value to it. And you mentioned that the me personally, I would probably going to and from work was probably about two and a quarter hours total. Uh, you know, and I'm coming from South Jersey into the city and you really realize, like I knew the commute sucked, but when it's (laughs) taken out of your life, you really Mm -hmm. realize like, wow, this really opens life up a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. And then I'm sure that you probably sit there and ask yourself, well, what do I do with this two extra hours of my time? Could I get a little bit more sleep? Could I be more organized? Could I get my children up in the morning a little earlier to be more productive? I mean, there's so many different things that you can think about. Now, I would have to be a devil's advocate a little bit here and ask, like, after the pandemic is over and you have to do that two and a half hour commute again, you're probably going to sit there and think, this is horrible. Like, I remember when I didn't have to do this and how wonderful it was. And it's going to feel like a deficit later, I I would assume. And to that point, one of the interesting a sidebar of this is we're talking about all these people that are going to work from home in the big picture going forward. I would also imagine there's going to be a fraction of a not small fraction that is going to have to go back in. Right. Not really for any reason that can be justified, just that the company wants people in their building and To your point of once you have to do it again, if you've gotten used to not commuting, if you've gotten used to not having to deal with X, Y, and Z, and all of a sudden you have to do it and there's really not a tangible reason why, I would think that's going to be a difficult road for a lot of people to cross. Yeah, and I think that it would make sense why people would feel an increase of things like frustration or stress or even anger towards uh, the people that they work with in terms of why are you why are you making me do this two hour commute when I can do everything that I've done, which I have been doing for the last couple months at home, um, and just kind of wondering that and feeling like you're already going to to work with a level of frustration just because of the commute when you've had this gift of being able to stay home and do the work that you have to do. So sticking with the positives, uh, I've gotten to spend a lot more time with the kids right. in a casual, not in a, all right, we're all going out to dinner or we're all, you know, just doing stupid stuff around mm-hmm. the house. And I don't, that's something I don't know that you can put a price on, but it's another thing. I don't think you appreciate how much you missed it until you kind of get the chance to do it day in, day out. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to add to that, too, um, I hear so many people talking about how their love and appreciation for their teachers even has just skyrocketed. Like, wow, I didn't realize how much teachers put up with and how difficult their jobs are. But I think to your point, just having proximity and that closeness to your children and being able to be in the same house, knowing that they're safe, knowing that they're okay, given that we are experiencing a global pandemic can really help with things like stress and anxiety. I know a lot of people where their children are actually still going um, to the buildings 
schools. Like for example, my sister's daughter goes to a school where they did not do remote learning at all. Um, there was definitely a time frame where they stopped attending the school, but now they're back and they're in their classrooms every day. And she talks to me about how uh, how much stress and anxiety she feels about, is she safe? Is she going to be okay? Um, you know, what are the precautions that they're taking? Are they making sure they're sticking to them? So having that gift of being able to have eyes on your child all day, making sure that they're safe and that they're engaged in learning, I think is really, uh, is really important. So now let's look at the other side. I think, like I said, if you're in the right situation, uh, there are a lot of positive boxes that can be checked, but Mm -hmm. there's also a lot of potential downsides. And I'm sure a lot of downsides people are experiencing from where do you see at the top of the list of, of problems that working from home on a permanent basis could bring to the forefront? Well, I think, I mean, there's a lot of different things, a lot of challenges that people can face in terms of working from home. First, the first thing that comes to my mind is work-life balance. So work-life balance is incredibly important. It's really just understanding the balance between your work life and your home life and making sure that you segregate those two. But how do you separate those two worlds when they're happening under the same roof, right? Where you're working from home and you're living at home. Um, so I would, I would say that the difficulty that many people face is this um, difficulty in, in terms of separating those two worlds, like living under the same space, but knowing, okay, now is my family time and here is my work time. And those lines can be ve- very blurred because they're happening under the same roof. Um, I would also say that closeness is incredibly important. It's very valuable in relationships, but it is possible to still need space and love the ones you live with. <laughs> so family connection and bonding is wonderful, but we all may need some space and that's okay. Those things are not mutually exclusive. You could love your partner, love your children, but still need space for them. But how do you get that space when we're being encouraged to stay home or you're working all day, your children are home, and then at night you're spending time with them and you're not feeling like you're getting any space to yourself. I would imagine that that could also contribute to some stress, some frustration, and a number of other things that can make relationships really challenging given the global pandemic. To that point, if you are able to work from home and you are spending time, what would be some ways you would, you know, to find space? Is it as simple as, you know, they're, everybody's kind of got their own room if you've, you're fortunate enough to be in a house that big and everybody kind of spends their time there to do their thing and maybe decompress or, or whatever? Well, I don't think that that's necessarily simple, but I think it's incredibly important. I mean, to your point, some people don't have the luxury of having multiple rooms where you can have the workspace and the living space. If you can, I highly encourage that because it does help with that segregation of work versus um, home life. Um, But for those of us who don't have that luxury, it's important to kind of implement some practices that help create that separation between work and home life. So I I always talk about the importance of something like self-care, right? And self-care is more important now than it ever has been before given this pandemic. So part of self-care is getting that space that you need. So I always encourage the families that I work with, it's okay to ask for an hour of a, um, throughout the day to give yourself that, that private space. 
Now we're all kind of um, secluding ourselves in our homes as much as we can in order to decrease the amount of time that we're exposed to other people in order to keep ourselves safe, right? But that doesn't mean that we can't have private time. So, you know, if you live with your partner, communicate with your partner and say, I'm going to go upstairs for an hour and read this book that I've been wanting to read, or I'm going to go catch up on this episode. Are you okay with the kids? And communicate with one another so that even though we're constantly in our homes and surrounded by the same people, you can have some practices that help give you that separation a little bit. Um, Making sure that you're aware that I work all day, but I still need some time to myself to really help with those self-care practices. And also encouraging the people that you live with to engage in self-care practices. Um, Encourage your children, um, you know, if they're spending all day on their computers, doing Google Classroom and everything that they're doing to help maintain their education, continue their education, um, engage in some some activities that don't involve the computer with one another, play a game with each other, watch a movie together, whatever it is that you have to do that kind of separates, I worked during the day and now is my time for family time. Scammers taking advantage of people doing their car shopping from home who would rather not take a trip to a dealership because of, you know, they're worried about the virus. So they offer up a nice car for a cheap price. Usually there's an excuse that a family member died or a relative is headed to the military and they need to quickly sell the car. Oh, it's a little old woman from Pasadena (laughs) that was only driven back and forth to lunch. Yes, only three miles on the car, yes. The seller then says the car can be delivered after getting a payment. So, person sends the seller money, the car never shows up. It's because, yeah, you guessed it, no car. The Better Business Bureau projects it's going to receive more than 450 complaints this year alone about schemes of that nature with victims losing more than a million dollars. Tiny tip. If it seems too good to be true, it is. Yes. It is not true. And if it's a 10-year-old car with two miles on it, <laughs> go away. No. <laughs> it's you know, not, but what is true? You don't want that car. When it is true, you can find this podcast, as, and it's a Radio.com original, so look for it at Radio.com. You can look for it on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and of course, Stitcher. And please be sure, if you like what you heard and you're tired of working at home, hit the subscribe <laughs> button and listen to us in the car. 